We are in the book of John, chapter 1, Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Today we're wrapping up our series, helping us get ready to celebrate Christmas. I wonder what word or words you would use to describe your experience of Christmas so far this year, except for the word busy. You can't use that word because that's what everybody says. It doesn't mean anything. You know, how's your Christmas? Busy. So think beyond that. What, just in your minds, you know, don't say it out loud, but what, what word comes to mind or words would you uh, say it's been fun or frustrating? Has it been joyful? Or sad, delightful, discouraging? How about the words deep and sweet? How about those words? The reason I ask is because the portion of Scripture we're going to be looking at, I believe, is intended to help us make our understanding of Christmas and our experience of Christmas much deeper and sweeter. Uh, Very naturally, at Christmas, we think of the passage that was on the screen earlier about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, about shepherds keeping watch over their flocks in the fields outside, and then an angel appears to them and says, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is a good thing to know that good news, that God sent us a Savior. But it is a deeper thing and a sweeter thing to know who that Savior is. He is Christ. He is Messiah, the Lord. He was not only sent by God, He Himself is God. That is the amazing truth in John chapter 1. John tells us that this one who was born in Bethlehem actually existed before the world began. In fact, before he himself brought the world into existence. So John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he's not part of creation, he's the creator. He's always existed, he's always been with God, and he himself has always been God. But then, but then he became something he wasn't. Then the Word, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that's deep. That's deep. It is an amazing thing that the eternal God the Son became a man. It's astonishing. 
Which is why the author John goes to such great lengths to back up what he is saying with eyewitness testimony, uh, his own and that of John the Baptist and, and other eyewitnesses as you read through his book. So this is a deep truth. But it's not by itself a sweet truth that God did this amazing thing. What makes it sweet is why he did it. And that we see in verses 10 through 18. So John 1, beginning of verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who put their trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only one, the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God, God the one and only who was at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So the sweet truth is that God the Son became the God-man, Jesus Christ, so that we could know God, know who he really is, know what he's really like, and actually know him, become children of God. That is deep and sweet. That, that, that people like us, sinners like us, who have who have ignored God, who have disobeyed God, who have dishonored God in countless ways that we can actually know God and be right with Him by being united to Jesus Christ by faith. Now, why do I say that it's a sweet thing to know God? I imagine that for many of you, that seems really obvious, but I suspect there are probably some here for whom that is not at all obvious. Maybe, you know, you think Christmas is a nice holiday and all, and, you know, Jesus, he obviously must have been a nice guy, but that's kind of as deep as it goes for you. And this idea of actually knowing God personally, that just sounds weird. Because maybe to you, God seems very distant and unknowable or just unrelated to real life. How is God connected to, you know, going to work or yard work or going to the dentist? 
How does knowing God relate to those things? What, what is that? Or maybe to you, God seems very uncaring, very demanding, very harsh. See, because if that's who you think God is, if that's what you think he's like, why would it be a sweet thing to know him? I'm certain that if you yourself don't wonder that, you know people who do. And that's why it is so important that we know who Jesus really is. Because if he is, okay, follow this, if he is who the eyewitnesses say he is, if he is who John says he is, if Jesus really is the eternal word who became flesh, follow this, that means that when you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. And when you listen to Jesus, you are listening to God. Jesus is who God really is. And so, whatever ideas you're carrying around in your head about God, and we all have them, all right? We've all got ideas about God in our heads. Whatever those ideas are, if they don't match up, if they don't line up with who Jesus is, then those ideas about God are not really about God at all. They're just ideas we've made up or we've picked up along the way. They're distortions, they're mistakes, they're false ideas about who God really is. That's what this is telling us. That's why this eyewitness, firsthand evidence is here, so we can know who God really is by looking at Jesus and listening to him. I believe that's why John... That's what he's telling us here. When he says in verse 14, look at it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, we have seen his glory. Glory. What is that? What is he talking about? We've seen his glory. Well, he goes on and he tells us in the verses that follow. Why? So we can see it too. So we can see it. Oh, don't make the mistake, okay? Don't make this mistake. Don't think that because Jesus isn't standing right here in front of you physically that you can't see his glory. You don't think, don't, don't say to yourself, well, yeah, sure, John, John the Baptist, all those guys, yeah, sure, they could see him. They could see his glory because he was right there. But I can't see him. I can't see his glory. He's not standing here. I can't see his glory. Actually, you can. You can. Because his glory has nothing to do with his physical appearance. In fact, the Bible tells us there, there was nothing remarkable about Jesus' appearance. He just looked like a guy. You know, those paintings, the old paintings, you know, where in a crowd there's Jesus. You can tell because there's the big halo around his head, hey, that's not historically accurate. That's not how it was. In fact, John the Baptist goes on and tells us that, you know, he didn't know. And other people looked at him, he's just a guy. His glory had nothing to do with his appearance. They saw his glory in his actions, his words, 
in his character. And you can see those. How? Through the words the eyewitnesses wrote down for us. You can see his glory. That's what we want to look at. So what is it? What is the glory of God that we see displayed in Jesus? Well, it is, first of all, his overflowing grace. His overflowing grace. We have seen his glory, John says. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. Jesus displayed the glory of God being full to the brim of grace. And this, this is such sweet news. Because this tells us then what the heart of God is toward you and toward me. I wonder, just use your imagination for a minute. I don't think this really, um, it, you know, it's going to be like totally theologically accurate to think of, you know, you sort of popping into God's head. I think he thinks about all of us all the time. But just for the sake of your imagination, just imagine God thinks of you. You know, you pop into his head. How does he feel about you when he thinks of you? What's his attitude toward you? I'll tell you what it isn't. It isn't that of an angry judge who cannot wait to condemn you. That's not God's heart toward you or me. Even though he has every right to. For the Bible tells us, and you know, if, if we're honest, we all know this is true. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that, because if we're honest, we know we don't even live up to our own standards. If I were to ask you, hey, do you have a set of standards you kind of live by, you know, try to be nice and honest and generous and kind and everything? Most people say, well, yeah. Okay, so do you always live up to your own standards? Not even this morning. (laughs) We don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's perfect standards of truthfulness and kindness, and generosity, and purity, and love. And if God were to give us what we deserve, we'd have no hope. None. Reminds me of a story from uh, an incident during the Civil War. Historian Shelby Foote tells about this. He says a young Confederate soldier was brought in before General Robert E. Lee on charges of desertion. He had deserted his fellow soldiers. That was the charge during battle. That's a very serious offense. In fact, that's a capital offense. So they brought him before General Robert E. Lee, commander of the Confederate forces, and he was literally shaking in his boots. And General Lee noticed how Afraid, he said. He said, son, son, don't be afraid. You'll get justice here. And the soldier replied, general, that's exactly what I'm scared of. He didn't want justice. Justice means getting what we deserve. That is not something to want 
from God. Because what we deserve from God is to be separated from Him forever and from all that is good. That's what John says later in his book. In John chapter 3, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life because the wrath of God stays, remains on him. It's not taken away. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said these words. Think about them. If only there were evil people somewhere committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Justice would destroy us. But, okay, so... Sweet news, John doesn't say we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of wrath and judgment. That's not what he says. He says full of grace, grace. And grace is getting from God what we don't deserve. Mercy, forgiveness, Kindness, love, eternal life. That's what God gives. That's what He offers. Now, why would God give us what we don't deserve instead of the justice we deserve? Does that mean He doesn't care about justice? Not on your life. Not for a minute. Don't make that mistake. Don't think God just lets people off because He doesn't care about justice. See, this is the beauty. This is what's so amazing about the gospel. The gospel displays both God's grace and his justice. In Jesus, God made a way for his justice to fall on himself instead of on you and me. Because that's who God is. God overflows with grace. So notice verse 14. The only Son from the Father is full of grace. In verse 16, he says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's why I'm using the word overflow. He's so full of grace, it spills out, so to speak. Grace and more grace and more grace. That's his heart. Now, see, okay, realize what this means. Realize what this means. The Word became flesh to make God known. The glory of Jesus is the glory of God. Which means that when we look at Jesus and see him, seeing him overflow with grace, what we're looking at is God overflowing with grace. That is God's nature to overflow with grace. Now, this is actually not new information about God. This goes way, way back, 1,500 years earlier, when Moses received, you know, God's Torah, his instruction, his law for the Israelites. There was a moment there when God revealed to Moses the essence of his character. 
Okay, the meaning of his name. In other words, revealing to Moses his heart of hearts. And he says in Exodus 34, 6, it says this, he, God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming. Now you've got the word Lord in all caps. That means that is actually in Hebrew, God's special covenant name of relationship, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, look, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Notice that when God describes himself, the first words out of his mouth are compassionate, which means he cares, and gracious, which means he gives, he helps. And he abounds, he abounds. That's what fountains do. He, abound, he overflows with love and faithfulness. So Jesus didn't give us brand new information about God in showing us his glory, that God is gracious. But it, see, here's the thing. Until Jesus, we just didn't see how massive that grace really is. We didn't see it. We didn't see the fullness of grace expressed. Where do we see that? When Jesus went to the cross as an innocent man, to die for the guilty, you and me. When Jesus took upon himself God's justice so that we would never have to experience it, that's when the fullness of God's grace was expressed like never before. And that's what it means when it says the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, there was all kinds of grace and truth in the, in the Torah. There's all kinds of grace and truth there. But in Jesus, grace and truth became flesh. And we could see God's glory so much more clearly. And that brings us to the other dimension of God's glory, that we see in Jesus, and that is his never-failing truth. His overflowing grace and his never-failing truth. And the word, of, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that's sweeter than you might think. That's sweeter than it might sound at first. Because here's the thing, when you and I hear the word truth, what do we think of? We think of factual information. Factual information. Information that's accurate. And that's a good thing, okay? Uh, Jesus certainly revealed to us a lot of accurate information. But it's, it's much more than that here. It's much sweeter than that. Here, truth means something more like the quality of being true to his character. Something like truthfulness or um, faithfulness. This is what God meant on Mount Sinai 
there in Exodus 34 when he revealed himself to Moses and he described himself as abounding in love and faithfulness. Now that word faithfulness is actually the Hebrew word for truth. But this is faithfulness is a very good translation of it here because that's the focus in the context. God is revealing his character not to be full of factual information, but to be absolutely true and reliable and faithful. That's the focus. You understand? This is why Jesus went to the cross. Because God's true to his character. Okay? God can't overlook sin. God can't sweep sin under the rug. God cannot be unjust because he is just. He's got to be true to his character. That's just who he is. He can never act as if sin doesn't matter. Sin always matters. Always. Always. And when you are sinned against, you know it. You know it matters. Okay? When promises are broken, it matters. When truth is rejected, it matters. When children are neglected or abused, it matters. When spouses are betrayed, it matters. And when the honest are cheated and the weak are oppressed and people are murdered, created in the image of God, it matters. And when God is belittled and dishonored and despised, it matters. It always matters. You know, we are so often bothered by the idea of divine justice. And people often ask, how could a God of love send anybody to hell? You know what the biblical question is? How could a God of justice let the guilty into heaven? And that is the wonder and the beauty of Jesus and his cross. That's his ultimate glory. When he willingly suffered and died in my place and in your place, the guilty, he satisfied. He satisfied the demands of God's perfect justice. His own standards. His own justice. And now, because of that, God's grace and truth overflow to us who desperately need it but could not possibly deserve it. Do you realize that if God were not faithful, that is, if he were not true to his character, you could never be sure of his promises? Because if he's not faithful, he's, well, the opposite of faithful is arbitrary. Yeah, I know I said that yesterday, but hey, new day. Feel different today. He's arbitrary. And even though he says, to all who receive Jesus, to all who believe in his name, I will give the right to become children of God, we couldn't take his word for it if you were not faithful, if you were not true to his character. You know, he might decide that for you, yeah, 
Jesus' death on the cross isn't good enough for you. It was yesterday, but today, you know, you're really bugging me. I think I'm taking that one back. <laughs> Never. Never. Not because, oh, you're so sorry. Not because you said enough prayers or you put enough in the offering or your attendance at church has been so amazing. Never. Because of Christ crucified. There, the demands of justice were satisfied. You know, people actually think you might be one of them. You might think believing in Jesus is just too easy. It's just too easy. It can't be that simple. It can't be. You, you've got you've to earn his approval somehow. You've got to somehow do enough to make yourself good enough for him. You know, if you think that, you're, 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 uh, not only is your thinking about you mistaken, that you could ever do enough good to you know, counteract the bad or whatever, earn your way into God's approval, but you're thinking about God is mistaken. God is not going to suspend his justice for anybody. Not you, not me, no one. He can't. He's got to be true to his character. And you, my friend, are guilty. And so am I. So God is not going to just say, well, okay, we'll just overlook that. No. Oh, but here's what he'll do. This is what he will do. He will declare you not guilty, and he will forgive you, and he will give you eternal life, and he will make you his child because and only because of Jesus. When you unite to him by faith. Because Jesus alone satisfied the demands of justice, he offers you and me the sweet privilege of knowing God by being united to him. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God is not eager to condemn you. If you're just sitting there thinking, you know, it's just a matter of time. I know what I'm like. And, you know, God, he can't wait to throw the book at me. No, he's not eager to condemn you. He is not indifferent to your needs. He's not so busy running the universe that he can't be bothered with your little problems. And God is not harsh. And God is not hard to please. How do we know? Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. When you look at him, you're looking at God. When you listen to him, you're listening to God. He is overflowing with grace, and he is never failing in truth. So if you've never said yes to him, if you've never put your trust in him, if you've never believed in his name, which means put your confidence in him and what he's done for you and not what you can do or your performance or anything like that, 
If you've never asked him to make what he did on the cross real for you, that's what he invites you to do. He is overflowing with grace and truth. You just need to receive it. You say, well, what are you talking about? I mean, what does that actually mean? How do I do that? Talk to him. Talk to him. In just, just a minute, I'm going to be quiet. We're going to have an opportunity to pray. And if you want that, if you want him, if you want his grace instead of his justice, if you want him to be true to his work for you, ask him. Right? You say, well, why would he do that for me? <laughs> because he said he would. Because he's overflowing with grace. And he's true. He's absolutely true. He's absolutely reliable. What do I say? I, you know, the words really aren't the issue. You, know, I, you don't need a formula. This is not math. This is... Jesus, today, somehow, I get it. I think I get it. All I know is, I don't deserve anything good from you, but I want everything good you want to give me. And so, please, make it real for me. I receive you. I put my trust in your name. I put my trust in what you have done and who you are and not in me and what I do. So, as best I know how, I receive you, I believe you, please, give me grace and not justice. And then lead me. Lead me on your path. The path of life. Help me walk it. Not because somehow I've got to do that to earn your approval. I already have it. Why wouldn't I want to walk on the path of life? Show me the way to go. And he will. So let's pray. Let's just bow our heads and close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to. Whatever it is, you know, I just, there's, uh, if, you've, if you've never received him, you could do that today. And if you think, well, I don't even know, I, I got, still got questions, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, well, you can talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you or somebody you came with who you know already knows Jesus. Or you could write on that Connect card that you're going to fill out here in a second. Just say, I'd like to talk to somebody about this. I'd love to talk to you about it. But if you know that right now you just need to say, Lord, I receive you, I believe you, I put my trust in you, just, just do it. Don't worry about the words being right. He knows your heart. And if you already have received him, just thank him. Thank him for how sweet and how deep this amazing truth is. That the word became flesh for you. So you could know God. All right? I'm going to stop talking and give you an opportunity to pray. And then I'll close in a minute. Father, thank you for this uh, deep and sweet truth. Thank you that Jesus shows us who you really are. 
Thank you that he shows us your grace. He shows us your absolute truthfulness. Lord, we pray that as we celebrate Christmas, it would be deep and sweet. For those who are grieving, for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, Lord, will you please just give them the grace to know that you understand that Jesus came to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You know. And so will you comfort those who are hurting. And will you encourage those who are despairing. And will you help us get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on Jesus so we can know who you really are. And Lord, will you just cause your grace to overflow not only onto us but through us to a world who desperately needs to know you. Lord, may we remember that this is good news. May we share it. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.